Sure, I, I might I might vote for one political party or other might lean that way, but but I'm a Christian first and foremost. And so, as you know, and again, I'm not here to slam President Obama. I'm not here to slam Mitt Romney. I'm not here to slam the Democrats or Republicans. But I want you to hear that the church is at a, at a crossroads today. Your life is at a crossroads, whether you agree with that or not, whether you believe it or not, whatever, you know. And so I want you to take your Bibles this morning, and I want you to look in the book of Esther's, uh, the book of Esther, chapter 4, the book of Esther, chapter 4. I've, I've, I've used this scripture various times uh, for, for different sermons, and kind of the, the, the context out of, out of the book of Esther is that you know what happened. Esther and her, uh, her uncle Mordecai, end up saving the Jewish people from destruction. There was an edict from the government. The government edicted that they were going to destroy all the Jews. That they were going to kill them. They were going to annihilate them. So this has been an ongoing thing. The devil wants to still kill and destroy your life. He wants to still kill and destroy the children of God. He wants to see your life ended. And so, so there's this ongoing battle. Again, we, we, we don't battle flesh and blood, but we battle principalities and powers. And our, our battles against Satan. And so in the book of Esther, I'm going to just kind of build this up to you. We'll, we'll, we'll look at Esther chapter 4, verses 12 through 14 here in a second. But what happened in the book of Esther was, was this, this uh, evil man, Haman, had a plan to destroy the children of, of Israel, the, the, the God's people, chosen people. So he sets up this edict, they're going to kill everyone. Mordecai catches wind of it, and of course he warns. Esther is now the queen of Persia. Okay, so Persia during this time was a very large country, very large empire. From they believe, they say from uh, as far out possibly into China, parts of India, all the way across into what would be modern day Turkey, uh, and so it'd be, it would be uh, Iran, Iraq, all these countries, Syria, and, and even parts of, of the Middle East that we would call. And so this was a huge, huge kingdom. And so in this kingdom, Esther was the king. And so now Mordecai says to her, you have to go and you have to, you have to, you have to plead for our cause uh, to you, so that God would save our people. Her answer to Mordecai is, I can't do it. I cannot go to the king. I can only, if I go to the king, uh, I only go when he calls me to come. And if I go unannounced and I just walk in, I could be put to death. And, and if he, he raises his scepter towards me, then, I, then I'm safe. But if not, I could die. And so here, here is what he says. Now let's, let's look at this. Esther chapter 4, verses 12 through 14. It says this. So, so Esther says to, to Mordecai, I can't go. I could die. And here's, here's what Mordecai says. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he said back this answer. Do not think because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but, but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. For such a time as this. And so Esther w- was raised up and God put Esther in this place to save her people. And of course the rest of the account is she did go to the king. The king was pleased. And then he... he he made a new edict that the, that the Jews could defend themselves. And so again, God saved the people. And, and many Jewish people still celebrate this account. It's called Purim. Uh, they, still, they still celebrate the, the saving of God's people. And so this morning, some of us remember uh, Hurricane Katrina. We recently remember it saw Hurricane Sandy and then it was a snowstorm. We saw the damage that it did. And we, and we see how fragile we as human beings are, don't we? 
We see how, how life can quickly change, how a storm can come, it can, it can wipe through and destroy things. And people are, there are still people without power, still some people without food, still some people without fuel. And so, so life is affected. And the thing about living in this great country, and I'm honored and I, and I love living in this country, and, I, and I'm blessed, but a lot of times we take for granted our liberties and our blessings in this country. And what happens is, is we miss the spiritual storm that is coming. There is a spiritual storm that is arising. There is a spiritual storm that's happening right now. And this storm, it, it's beginning to erode our values. It's beginning to erode our morals. And every generation that's being raised up, this storm is sweeping more and more of the younger generation away from the church. Every generation is being, their, their morals, their foundations are being eroded by this storm. And we're just sitting, some of us are saying, well, you know what, I really can't do anything about it. I'm not smart enough. Or, you know, I'm just, I'm working this job. I'm just doing this thing. Uh, Pastor, I'm just busy. I'm busy. I, I can't, I, I can't make a difference. And it sounds a little bit like Esther. I can't make a difference. I, I could die. I could lose my job. I could get fired. I could get laughed at. We could get mocked. But you see, each generation is being swept into the storm of, of what we call postmodern thinking. Or, and I was talking to someone, I was talking to Olivia, my wife, and I was talking to some friends. I said, America definitely is no longer a Christian nation. Those days are gone. We are no longer a Christian nation. There are Christians in this nation, but we are no longer bound and driven by morals like we used to be. Now, some of you, again, I've got emails, and well, it's the greatest day, President Obama's back, he's going to cure everything, you know, or, or some of you are saying, well, I can't wait in the next four years, we're definitely going to elect someone else because he can only be in for two terms. And, and again, I'm going to go back to this, that, that it doesn't matter who's in office, man is corrupt. And yes, President Obama can do great things. In fact, I'm praying that he does better things. I'm praying that the Republican Party and the Democrat Party get together and make things happen that are good for the country. I'm praying for that. But I'm praying more importantly that the church rises up for such a time as this. Because if you've not noticed in the last 20 years, the last 40 years, this just didn't happen. And, and I'm not talking about the Democrats. I'm talking specifically here in Maryland when we were voted that, that marriage between a, a, a same sex is okay and this casino thing, I'm thinking this didn't happen overnight. This didn't happen over Obama's watch. This has happened over the last 40 to 50 years. This storm, these waves of coming in and begin to erode our morals, begin to erode our values. And, and in our schools, we are being taught, our kids are being taught things that you would be shocked. And we're like, well, I just want my kid to get an education. That's awesome. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But our kids, their moral values are being eroded in the classroom. It's being eroded in, in, by, by the, the TV shows, by the Internet. That stuff, if, if you don't get it, their, their morals are being eroded. Some of them are standing up. Some of them are believing in God. But some of them are just beginning to believe the lie of the enemy. And I think it's time for the church to stop saying, well, we can't do anything. Say, no, we are the change that God wants to be. It doesn't matter who's in office. It doesn't matter if the Republicans are in control, the Democrats are in control. The church is the church. The church has been around long before the United States. It'll be around long after the United States. I mean, the United States could last forever. It could not last forever. My concern is that the church becomes the church. And that you and I live as godly people in a dying and dark world. Amen? And so we have the storm that's here. We have the storm. And the church can either do two things. We can hide in our palace, in the safety of our palace, 
Or we can become a church that is relevant and powerful, that's bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's actually changing lives. Amen? Are you with me? Proverbs 29.18 says, Where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. And so what is your vision? What is the vision of our church? Our, our church vision is to be God's agent of change. To win the loss, to disciple you, to be a place of worship, to reach out in, in love and care for people in the name of Jesus. That is the purpose of our church. Our purpose is to make disciples and to grow you in your spiritual life and to be here for your spiritual needs. God has put you in your workplace, your school, your neighborhood to be a light. The next thing, Ephesians 5, 15-16 says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. I mean, that's, yeah, the days are evil, right? The days are evil. And so the church, again, we're at a crossroads. We can either show the world our real faith and real power or we can just go into oblivion and hide and hide in our little safety of our our worship services and our little Bible studies and not be the light that God has called us to be. Or we can can be like some of the other churches that have become politically correct and they've just basically thrown the Bible out the window. And so people can do what they want. God's a God of love, but they forget that He's a God of holiness as well. That He is a God that judges. He is a God that, that is concerned about sin. So 2 Timothy 1, 13 and 14 says this. 2 Timothy 1, 13 and 14 says... When you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that has been entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. If you're a Christian, God has put into you a deposit of goodness, of love, of power. And you've got to watch it. You've got to protect it. You've got to allow that to be your strength. Amen? So the first thing, if you're taking notes and you're following along, number one, I think I have this, is we must be bold and confident, not fearful. The church must be bold and confident. Amen? 2 Timothy 1.7 says, for, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. Some of you have given up. You've given up on this nation. You've given up on Democrats. You've given up on Republicans. You've given up on the church. That's not what God wants you to do. He wants you to stand bold and in power and be light in your workplace, in your school, in your neighborhood. Pastor Stan, you don't get it. I could lose my job. So be it. God will provide I might die for my faith. That so be it. God will take care of you and your family. Pastor Sin, you don't get it. People laugh at me. They mock at me. So I just, I'm quiet. I hide. You know what? You don't have to be obnoxious. You don't have to be belligerent. But you should stand up for what you believe in. And so you know what? That's fine. You believe that. But I disagree with that. I believe in the Bible. And here's what the Bible says. And let the Bible stand for itself. Amen? So we must not be afraid. We must be bold. We must be confident. Because... People without a vision will perish. A church without a vision will, will perish. A Christian without a vision of what God has called them to do, they will perish. We must take responsibility for our church, for our nation, for our failures, for our sins. Uh, we should not be swayed by mass hysteria. We are the change that God wants to be in the world. We have the presence of God. Amen? His love, we sang that song. I love that song that His love never fails. It never goes out. It goes on and on and on. His, the love of God is in your life. Amen? Are you doing good? The second thing I want us to realize in this day and age, in this coming storm that's beginning to, 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 to ravage our world and this nation is number two, we must love people and not things. We must love people and not things. Are you following me? The question is, can wealth and possessions give a true sense of purpose and reason to life? Somebody say, yeah, sure. You know, and, and again, I'm, I'm not against you having great things and having nice stuff. There's nothing wrong with that. God's not displeased with any of that stuff. But the question is, what if you don't have those things? 
Is your faith still the same? Do you still love God whether you're, you're in debt or have no money or you have lots of money? Does your identity equal things? Or are you a person who, in God and you have to happen to have things? Because see, things come and go, right? How many of you, your car has been crashed, has been wrecked, your money's come and gone? You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes our health comes and goes. God is still on the throne, amen? And so we should have faith in God and we should, we should love people and not things. Because you know that, remember that Beatles song, Money Can't Buy You Love? Somebody's like, I'd like to try it. It'll just be empty. Because once the money goes out, the love goes away. Your, your money can't buy love. I, I've seen it. I, I've seen people, I've seen parents who, who have a good business to do well and they try to buy their kids love because they're at work 50 hours a day and they're never there for their kids but they're trying to buy their kids stuff and those kids hate their parents and they hate the job. They hate the money. You can't buy your kids love. It helps take care of them. It's nice to have nice things but it can't buy them love. We must love people, not possessions. Amen? Money can't buy friends or family or marriage. Possessions will go away. What will you be left with? Hopefully a love, a passion, a friendship. Amen. The third thing, we must develop the disciplines of prayer and fasting. I believe that's on your notes. We must, dis- we must have the disciplines of prayer and fasting. And church, I'm telling you, we, we must move beyond just the 10-minute Christmas list that we offer God. God, I need this. I need you to move here. I need this. I need this. God, here's my list. Boom, boom, boom. And I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. And, and it's good that you bring your needs before God because God wants you to do that. But we need to begin to pray and fast for the church. Pray and fast for your neighbor. Pray and fast for your co-workers. Pray and fast for the, for the United States. Pray and fast for every nation of the world because God loves every nation of the world. Amen? And so we must begin to have this discipline of not just this five-minute prayer, but this big prayer. And I believe I have the scripture, Acts chapter 4, 27 through 31. Do I have it? I do. You can write this down in your notes. If it's not there, I think it is. But let me read this to you. Let me read this to you. Acts 4, 27-31. It says, Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they had, were meeting, had meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. You see, when they prayed, something happened. They prayed, God, show forth your power through the church. God, yes, the world is against us and against your servant, but Lord, show your power. And it says they prayed and the place was what? Shaken. You're kind of sleepy this morning, right? The place was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the Word of God. And so what would happen when we begin to covet and have the discipline of prayer that we're going to come together and pray until the place is shaken? Can you imagine that? Oh, Pastor, I don't have time for that. That's what we pay you for, you know. We must, we must fast. Try this. Sometimes some of you need to fast from certain foods, drinks, TV, internet, videos, radios, your cell phones, magazines, and, and take a time and say, God, I want to hear from you. This stuff's nice, but it's not you. And say, I need to hear from you, God, and pray for our nation, pray for the church, pray, pray that God's power would overturn this present Tide of evil. In fact, if you've not noticed, the social programs our government has has not stopped the violence in our schools. It doesn't matter who's in office. 
There's still poor people. There's still hurting people. There are still people that are hurting. The government might be able to help some of that, but it's the church's job to rise up and pray for these people. Show them the love of Christ. We can't give them all the money, but we can ask God to help them. Maybe God would allow you to give something. We must pray. You have power through prayer. Amen? Don't be in despair. Don't say, oh, the world's lost. It's, 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 it's on. We're, we're, the United States is, 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 uh, is gone. We're, we're, it's, we're going to hell in a handbasket, Pastor Stan. That might be true. But your job is not to sit there and hide and let it happen. Your job is to try to reach at least one person next to you. Try to reach as many people as, as the ship's going down and reach them for the, Je- the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who knows? The nation may turn around. I, I pray for that. I'm not a prophet. I've heard lots of people in coming up to the selection and after the selection, this is it. The, this, this is the death knell of the church. This is the death knell of America. It's possible. But I know that I'm supposed to help you and encourage you. And that we're to, to be concerned about reaching our families and our friends and our co-workers and our neighbors with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if this nation disappears from the face of the earth, we at least did our job while it did. If this nation lasts another hundred years or a thousand years, we were still faithful in doing what God called us to do. Prayer, fasting, reaching people, and showing the love of Christ in practical ways as well as speaking the gospel. Amen? So the church can do something. The fourth thing is we must replace selfishness with commitment. We live in such a commitment uncommitted society. We, we see the results of selfishness. We see it, you know, and we talk about it. And selfishness only just breeds more selfishness and emptiness. And, and, and it's an empty well that never satisfies. Because you're never satisfied. You always want more. You want bigger. You want better. And it just you're always chasing after that. You're never satisfied with everything that God has given you. And see, the church must get back to commitment to, to faith and commitment to, to family and commitment to, to, to being what God has called you to be. And so I've talked about this in the past, is for everything that you plant will bring a harvest. But the problem is, we plant a seed and we don't see what's happening. We get upset or there's a, like a little tiny plant growing. We get upset about it. We yank it out of the ground. And we're thinking, man, this is just a waste of time. And you, you try to replant it. And you know what happens when you keep yanking a plant or a tree out of the ground? What happens to it? It gets unhealthy. And so instead of planting in somewhere with a family or a church or a job or a, a people and planting into something and, and spiritual disciplines and just keeping at it constantly, you're going to reap what you sow. You will reap a harvest if you continue to water and plant and stay committed to it. Amen? Stay committed to, to your nation, to the people, to the church. Committed to your spiritual disciplines. For anything to have good returns, we must be patient. We are an impatient people in this, in this country, aren't we? Amen? Come on, be honest. You see, there's this thing called the law of reciprocation where you, when you sow into something, you're going to get back. But sometimes it takes a long time before you get it. Those apples and oranges you buy at the grocery store, you go to the orchards to buy, someone planted those trees probably decades ago. And now you and I are reaping the benefits of it. And hopefully we're planting seeds for the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. Amen? You see, some of the fruit you don't see, so we've got to be committed saying, this is, I'm going to do this. Here's what the Bible says. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Did you hear what God said? You get what you sow. You get what you put into something 
it comes back to you. If you're half committed to something, you're going to get a half fruits. Are you following me? If you're tied into it, say, this is what God wants me to do, I'm going to give my life to this, you're going to receive a lot of fruit. You see, this, this scripture applies to, to all kinds of things. Jobs, relationships, marriages, your Christianity, and for the church as well. Let's be committed to our church. Let's be committed to our cause. Let's be committed to the vision that God has called us to. Amen? Let's be committed to our neighbors. Pastor Stan, my neighbors come and go all the time. Well, in, in the short time, try to get to know them. Try to be light to them. Amen? I'm going to talk about that more. You doing all right? You see, we, we have people then that, because of this shopper mentality, and, and yes, I have to talk about it just for a second. You see, we have a generation of people that, want, that come to church and they want, they want top quality ministries. They want good fruit of Christianity, but they themselves have not sown into the church. And they expect the pastor to preach the Thanksgiving sermon, you know, the best sermon ever. They expect worship to be top. They expect the children's ministries and all the ministries to be the top notch, but they, yet they don't give a dollar for it. They don't get on their knees at all one minute and they don't even say, hey, I, can I help? They're being very cheap. They're putting in a penny or nothing and they're expecting. You see, you can't keep going to an apple tree without planting some more apples, some more seeds. You see what I'm saying? And what happens in this consumer mentality, people keep coming to church and they always want to take from the church, but they don't want to give to the church. They don't want to pray. They don't want to fast. They don't want to commit an hour a week. They don't want to tithe. They don't want to give to missions. They just want to receive. And you see, there was a generation that came before us and they built this nice building we have. They sacrificed. They tithed. They had fundraisers. They did all this stuff. And so, so when Pastor Stan and the board gets up and say, hey, we need your help. We need you to tithe. We need you to commit to this. Don't get upset. Because we're just asking you to do what the other generations did. Give. So that the next generation can have a place. Amen? So we've got to get rid of this. What's in it for me mentality? Say, what can I do for God in the next generation? In my current generation? Amen? We need real commitment. Galatians 6, nine says, Let us not be weary in doing good. Let's not be weary in it. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Teaching the kids... Being patient with people, greeting people, going to your job and being faithful at it. Being faithful in your marriage. Being faithful to your community. Being faithful. You will reap a harvest if you don't give up. God blesses faithfulness. Amen? He does. You think, pastors, no one sees me at work. No one sees me doing my ministry. No one cares. God does care. And He will bless you beyond all measure. Amen? The next thing, number five, we must develop relationships, not walls. We must develop relationships. We, we as a nation are becoming more polarized. We are beginning to gravitate and hang out just with people that just think like us. And that's good for some, some things. But, but what happens is if, if you only hear Fox News and you believe everything in Fox News and you hang around people that listen to Fox News, you can't hear someone else's mindset. If you, all you watch is CNN or MSNBC and, and all that's all you do, then you cannot hear someone else who has a different mindset. And realize that they are people just like you. And you see, politics in this nation has become more divisive, even sometimes in the church. And so we're becoming, we're becoming polarized. We're, we're becoming separate. We have these walls. Well, they're, they're black people. They're white people. They're Asians. They're we need to stop that. We're all colored people. We all have a color. God has made us all. We still bleed red blood. We all have the same organs. We all have the same brain waves. We, we are people, amen? And so we must, we, must, we must 
hang out with people that believe differently than us. I'm not saying you have to partake of their sin, but you need to have connections with people that are different than you so that you will not become polarized and hypocritical or closed-minded because people will stretch you. Do you understand what I'm saying? God is putting you in places where you may not like these people. They might be different politically or, or, or a faith background. Or they might have come from a different culture. But God has put you there so that you can be light to them. And you can build a friendship and you can help them and, and vice versa. They can help you grow. That you will be stretched and that the kingdom of God will grow because of that. You see, when we build defenses, we can't have friendships with people. And let me say this, building friendships and relationships, it takes time. It takes effort. It takes patience, doesn't it? It takes love. It takes sometimes, you know, we're not going to talk about that one issue because we are going to argue about that. But let's talk about this. Let's be the light of Jesus Christ. Let's not, let's not build walls, but let's build relationships. Amen? Then, then the next thing, listen, number six, and please hear me, I'm, I'm, gonna, uh, I'm, not, I'm not going after one political party or not, but we need leaders with integrity and backbone. We need politicians to stand up for what they, got, they said they were going to do. And you as a voter, whether you voted for that politician or not, you need to hold them accountable to that. If they said they were going to do something or they said they are going to help something, then you need to be on the phone often emailing them, calling them, say, hey, how are you doing on this? We're here, we're praying for you. We want, we want this to be a great nation. We want this to be a great state. You need to keep on them. The problem with elections is people get elected, then we just forget all about them. The next, Because we're like tired of all the ads, right? The phone calls you got, the letters and all that. I understand that. I'm glad that that's done with. But now I have to be reminded, God is trying to remind me, call them. Send them a letter. Ask them how they're doing. Ask them what you can do for them. Keep in contact with them because they said they're going to do something. We need to hold them accountable to that. Because they're public servants. Remember that? They represent all people, whether they voted for them or not. They're public servants. You must hold them accountable. You must pray for them. Amen? Instead of cursing them, the Bible says that we must pray for them. Amen? Whether you like the current president or not, whether you voted for him or not, you must pray for him. Because God tells us to. Well, I'll pray for him, Pastor Stan. I'll pray for sure that he fails. Don't pray that he fails. That's been the problem with the Republicans. They're, they're, they're looking for each other to fail instead of coming together. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of this kind of stuff in our nation. When's the church going to get up and start praying for these people? When are we going to call them and say, Hey, listen, we're tired of both of you guys arguing and pointing fingers. Let's get something done. Well, you don't understand, Pastor. They, they can't work together. They can. If we pray for them. We encourage them. We are there for them to be servants of God as well to them. Amen? So, so we need leaders with integrity and backbone that are going to, that are going to be different. And, and, and then we need to stop as believers. Stop, stop allowing spoiled sports stars and confused actors to tell us how to live our lives. Amen? Church, stop believing that, well, this is the, you know, if, if you're like me, or, you know, you're closed-minded because you're not like, you, you, these people are confused on half of them. I mean, some of them are good people, but they, they live in a whole different world. You don't live in that world. And they're telling you how you live your life. They don't understand struggling, paying bills. They might have at one time, but they don't do life anymore. They don't live like you and I. So don't let them dictate to you a, a godless lifestyle. Don't let them condemn you because you're standing up for what God has called you to do. Amen? These are not leaders. These are musicians, sports stars, 
actors, and I love being entertained. I love musicians. I love watching sports. But they're not my leaders. They're entertainers. Amen? Moms and dads, I know, understand, because I remember as a kid growing up, and I, I was watching football. I mean, I wanted to be a football star. I wanted to be an astronaut. I wanted to be a pilot. I wanted to, you know, I wanted to be a musician. I wanted to do all that stuff. But later in my life, I began to know, these are just people. And as I'm getting older now, I just see these are some of them are just messed up people because they're not accountable to anybody. Or they have too much power. They have too much stuff. And they, they, they don't know how to control their lives. The church needs to take place and be the spiritual leader to our nation. Well, Pastor Stan, we're separation of church and state. And of course, you know, I say this. That's not even in any, in any of the federal documents in this nation. That was said by Thomas Jefferson so the government would not control the churches. And that's now been turned around. We can be light. We can still stand up for our faith. It, it's your constitutional right if you're, if you're a citizen of this country. Amen? Let's be leaders. Number seven, we must work together rather than compete. Now again, I love good old-fashioned competition in sports and academics and, the, and that kind of stuff. That's fun stuff. But in life we must realize that we're all part of the human race. Amen? And yes, I know you have companies and you have competitive companies. You can still be a competitor and still do it right without lying, without cheating, without trying to hurt other people. You can still be right and still be competitive. Did you know that? You can still be fair. You can, you can still say, you know what, God, let me help you. In fact, we must look for ways to help other people excel. I'm not talking communism. I'm not talking socialism. I'm talking how can you say, how can I help another person be the best that God has made them to be? It's simply that. How can I give them a hand at times when they need a hand? How can I bless them when they need to be blessed? That's all God's asking us to do. Let's help people excel in life because you're going to reap what you sow. You're a good person. You're helping people. God's going to bless you with people that come along your, your, your side and help you when you're in need. Do you see what I'm saying? Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Amen? Are you following me? Kind of quiet? You're like in a daze because of politics. You're in a daze because of the pastor. Number eight is we must have real, relevant churches and believers. We must have real, relevant churches and believers. And I'm not going to go too long on this, but... but the church must get out of the 18th and 19th century and come into the 21st century. I'm not saying that we, and you know me, we do not compromise the gospel. But we must look for new ways to share the gospel. We, we must look for new ways to bring a younger crowd of, of people in. I think I, I, think I had it on the, on the PowerPoint earlier there. It showed the generation of, of uh, builders and, and boomers and busters and, and all the other generations. And, and every generation, less and less of them are in the church today. Because the church is, is, is we're stuck in something. And, and we're not reaching out to them. Or, or we're not willing to bend the way we do things. I'm not saying compromise the gospel. But I'm saying we, we've got to be relevant. And really, we need the power of God in our lives. Amen? I'm not asking you to change godly morals. But we must let go of things that, that perpetrate a, a bygone age. But really, we must be relevant in this, that, the church should be a place of healing, of power. And the church must move beyond the four walls of its building and get involved 
in its workplace, in its community? How many of your neighbors know you? How many people in the community you live in know you? How many of your coworkers actually know you? Are you there for them? Are you a light to them? Are you, are you relevant with the gospel? When was the last time that this church was involved in doing something in the community? When was the last time you helped out in a community project in the neighborhood? When, when was the last time you did something in the neighborhood with, with, your, with your neighbors? Our neighbors need to see Jesus in us. Amen? Instead of you cursing and throwing their beer bottles and their beer cans or their bongs back in their yard, pray for them. Love them. When they're up all hours of the night keeping you up, and I understand I've been there at times, you know, besides knocking on the door asking them to stop, but, but build a friendship with them. Offer to mow their lawn when they're on vacation. Offer to shovel snow. Say, I'll watch your dog or your cat when you're away. That would shock some of your neighbors. Some of you do that. God bless you. But, but be there for your neighbors. Amen? Be a light to them. Be relevant to them. Because once they see you care, then they'll listen to what you have to say. If they see that you don't care, they're not going to listen to what you say. But when you befriend them, when you're there for them, when you, when you love them in spite of what they might believe in, then you will have a right to speak into their lives. And God will use that. I guarantee it. If you are neighborly to your neighbors. Amen? Number nine, we must, we must seek out powerful spiritual revelation of the Bible that will replace the purely intellectual study of God. I know that's a, what, what? Let me say it again. We must seek out a, a powerful spiritual revelation of the Bible that will replace the purely intellectual study of God's Word. I love studying God's Word. I try to every day. I try to every day. I don't always make it happen. I try to do my life journal every day. But in that, God, I say, God, when I'm reading my Bible, I want you to speak to me. And not only do I want you to speak to me, I want you to reveal your power and your presence to my life. And every Sunday when I pre preach... All week I'm praying, God, whatever I say, I pray that it's, it's God's manifest presence and it's speaking to your life. That's not just a study of the Word. It's not just history. It's not just a story, but it's the truth of God being manifest in our lives. Amen? You see, and what I'm saying is this, is you can't just say you believe in the Bible, but it doesn't change your ways. We have a lot of people that say this country that still 85% of the people in this nation say they believe in God, but I don't see that in their lives. 70% of this nation call themselves Christians, but I don't see the Bible changing their lives. You see, for them it's a belief. Well, that's my belief. They put it up on the shelf. We see, we, we don't need a shelf faith. We need a faith that's changing our hearts. We need a revelation of God's power, His presence, of His holiness, and His love and His patience in our lives. Amen? We see, we have a lot of people that say they're believers, but the, their Bible isn't changing their lives. It's not impacting their life and who they are and how they act. So the question for you and I, is our Christianity just mere words or is it experience with God? During the worship time, maybe you like the songs, maybe you don't like them. But are you allowing God's presence to fill you? I mean, I really sensed His presence when we were singing that, that about His love never fails. It goes on and on. I could just sense that just overwhelming love. Pastor, it's, I don't really like that style. It's too loud. It's not loud enough. It, whatever. Just say, God, I don't care what songs are being sung. I want to come into your presence. Amen? 
And a lot of times people come into church and say, well, worship didn't do anything for me. It's because you weren't even in worship. You were there, but you weren't in the presence of God. You weren't worshiping God. We've got to have encounters with a divine God who wants to encounter and bless you. Amen? Will you allow God to change you? Will you allow the Word to change you? Will you allow worship? We must move from, yes, you need to memorize the Bible truths, but you need to not just memorize it, but you need to live it out. We need to let the Bible live out in our lives. Amen? You see, you have the answers. You have power. You need to allow the Holy Spirit to fill you. Some of you have never been baptized in the Holy Spirit. I know we don't always talk about that on Sunday mornings. We, we, we go through it a few times. You need, you need to allow the Holy Spirit to baptize you and give you power. You need to allow the Spirit to let the gifts of the Spirit to flow out of your lives. Not just in church. Because God gives the nine gifts, the, the tongues, interpretation, the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, the, the gifts of healings, the, the, the miracle, the discernment. So that lives will be changed. The presence of God is in us. Amen? Be open. Say, Holy Spirit, fill me. Baptize me. Are we willing to commit to the word of being changed in our lives and being filled with God's Spirit? The next thing, number ten, is we must train up our youth in the right way. You know, I kind of hound you on this, but we must... Parents, it is your job to teach your kids about Jesus Christ at home. First and foremost, it is your job to teach your kids about Scriptures. First and foremost. The, the church will help. The youth departments, the impact, the rangers, those things will help. I will do what I can. But it's your job, according to Deuteronomy, that you're supposed to talk about the Scriptures. When you're, it says when you're out in the country, when you're laying down at night, when you're walking along the road, when, when you're eating at dinner, you're supposed to talk about Scriptures. You don't have to go through the King James Bible, memorize it, that might help. But you're at least to talk about Scripture, talk about the values, talk about the ways of God to your kids. Amen? Because if you're not, someone else is t- telling them other morals. They're school teachers. Some of, you, some of, your, some of your, your kids' school teachers are great people. They're moral people. Some of them are not. Professors. I remember when I first went off to Colorado State University, growing up in a good church and having a good biblical foundation, having a godly family, helped me because when I went off to the state university, it was a whole different world. The professors were mocking my Christianity. They made fun of us in class. There were groups on campus trying to recruit us and, and trying to deceive us and pull us away. And if your kids are not grounded in God's Word and, and with His presence, they're going to fall. If you're not teaching, well, Pastor, you understand, I'm tired, I work a lot of hours, and I understand some of that, but you, it is your job to raise them up in the faith. What we do here, one hour a week, 45 minutes on a morning or, or 45 minutes an hour on a Sunday night is not going to change our lives completely unless you are giving them the Word daily, praying with them, helping them, living out a godly life in front of them. Amen? It is your job as a parent to teach them the ways of God. We must train up our kids. You must tell your kids wrong from right. You've got to teach them. I, I hear parents say, well, I'm going to let my kids find the way. No, you're going to be held accountable to God. You're supposed to teach your kids. Well, Pastor Stan, I don't, I don't know. You know, we're not supposed to... We shouldn't legislate morality. Well, we do. It's against the law to kill. It's against the law to steal. It's against the law to lie. Well, the Ten Commandments still have effect in our nation. You need to teach your kids. It's not okay to lie. It's not okay to hate. It's not, those things are not good. Teach your kids godly values. Amen? Your kids need parenthood. They need guidance. They don't need a friend. They need you as a parent. I know this is a day and age, and I know some of you are going to get very mad. But sometimes, parents, you need to say No. Say it with me. No. No. You're not going to join another sport. 
You're not going to do this next class. No, we're not going to buy the the next iPhone 58. No, you're not going to get the most expensive shoes in the world. No, you're not going to die because I didn't give you pizza last night. No, I will not accept you having a temper tantrum and embarrassing me. Amen? You are their parent. Can Can I just give you some parental advice? I'm not the perfect parent. I'm still learning. I'm still growing. I still make mistakes. But my mom and dad did not put up with temper tantrums. And parents, I'm going to close my eyes. Those of you that let your kids have temper tantrums, unless you stop them, they're going to control your life into their adult life. They may not scream and cry and throw a fit on the floor, but they're going to have a temper tantrum. They're going to manipulate you. And I know, well, it's not very loving. It is very loving to teach your kids to say, no, you can't have chocolate every day. You can't have soda before you go to bed. You can't watch TV all night. You can't hang around those people because they're they're bad influences on you. Amen? Your kids will be better if you say no to them about some things. Not everything. You know, don't starve your kids. Don't give them a rice ball and make them stay in the room for a week. That's wicked. And I'm shocked that people do stuff like that. Still, in this day, even in this country. But your kids are not abused if you say no sometimes. I understand because there's things I want. I want my kids to have a better life than I did. I don't want them eating ramen. I mean, they love, it's fact, I can't tell you before, my kids love ramen noodles. I can't stand ramen noodles. Because sometimes that's all we, we eat. We eat rice because I grew up in a Korean home. We always had a pot of rice on, uh, in the house. So we had, a, we had rice and ramen noodles. And sometimes that's all we had. Or we had rice and macaroni and cheese. And my kids love those. I can't, I don't like those things. I like the rice. That's just because I'm half Asian probably. But I don't like ramen noodles that much. I don't eat macaroni and cheese. I mean, if you serve that to me, come here, I'll eat it. I, and, and hot dogs. Because that's all we had to eat sometimes. But as you can tell, I'm still healthy today. I'm still alive today. And your kids are going to be okay if you say no to certain things. Amen? They need to know God. It is your job to teach them the ways of God. True love will discipline when needed. Amen? The, next, the last two things I want to talk about, and this is the most important thing as a church. Number 11 is we must be the church of supernatural power. We must be. We call ourselves a spirit-filled church. We must be spirit-filled. We must be spirit-activated. We must go and flow in the spirit. And here's what the Word of God says. 1 Corinthians 4.20 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what? Talk, but of power. That word power, the Greek word there is dunamis. Miraculous power. The kingdom of God is not just about talk, but it's dunamis. It's miraculous power. We're... The board, we went out a retreat yesterday and one of the teachers on the video session said that God does the super and we do the natural. Supernatural is, is a normal thing for God. For Him to intervene and act. We talked, Damaris told us a great story about her, her, her niece and her sister. How God had provided through a supernatural way. And so God is waiting for the church to flow in the supernatural. Acts 1.8 says this. Listen to this. Acts 1.8 says, But you will receive power. The word again there is dunamis. Miraculous power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and at the ends of the earth. In other words, God gives you spiritual power. He's waiting for you to let it go. 
He's waiting for you to move in the gifts of the Spirit in your workplace. Some of you are like, your friends believe in all kinds of stuff. They believe in tarot cards. They believe in Elvis Presley. They believe in aliens. They believe in, they believe in all these things. And so why are we as Christians afraid of the real power of God? Of laying hands on people or praying for them. Saying, listen, I'll pray for your situation. I'll pray that you get freed from this addiction. I'll pray that God does a miraculous. I've never had anyone in a work situation say no when I, when, when I said, can I pray for you? I've not got all Pentecostal on them all the time. And there's been a few times I've had. I said, do you mind? I'm going to pray in a language you don't understand. As they get to know me, I said, I'm going to pray in a thing what we call tongues. Don't we, don't, it's not, don't, I'm not wigging out. I believe that God works. In fact, I've had people that are non-Christian say, hey, hey, Pastor Stan, hey, is your church, are you one of the churches that believes in tongues and laying hands? I say, absolutely, we do. Well, Pastor, why don't we do it more? Well, why don't you do it more? I'm not stopping you. You do it more. You pray in the Spirit. You lay hands on people as the Lord leads you at your workplace, in your neighborhood. Walk through your neighborhood. If you say, Pastor Sam, my neighborhood, they're wicked. They're, it's like Sodom and Gomorrah. Then, then walk your neighborhood when it's nice and warm or when it's a little chilly and walk and begin to pray in the Spirit in tongues around your community. Walk around it praying in the Spirit, binding the work of the enemy. Lay hands, lay hands discreetly on their mailboxes. Put a little oil, anointing oil and just walk by their house and anoint their, their driveway or, or their, their mailbox or something like that. You know, don't make it obvious. Don't take a big old brush out there in the name of Jesus and just pray in the Holy Spirit and start putting a cross across their house and God have mercy, you know, and start praying and dancing. The Holy. Don't do that. Then they will think you're strange. But you can walk and pray. Amen? Come on, let the power of God... And here's what happens. Acts 2, 42-47. I've read this to you many times. It says, They devoted themselves, the apostles' teaching, and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayer, to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods, and they gave to everyone, anyone as they had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of the, all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You see, the gifts of the Spirit are, are given to reach people. The gifts of the Spirit are, are given to glorify God. The gifts of the Spirit are to help you and to help your family, your friends, your co-workers, your enemies with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because God does still raise people from the dead. God still does heal people of cancer. God does still re- restore relationships. God still does financial miracles. God still does deliverance power through the people. We need to be the church of supernatural power, not the church of politics anymore. Are you getting the idea that I'm tired of politics running the church? The church is owned by Jesus Christ. Not the Democrats, not the Republicans, not Fox News, not CNN, NBC, not anybody else, not the Washington Post, whatever. It's, it's owned by Jesus Christ. He gave his life for the church. He shed his blood for the church. And we are his agents in our workplaces, our homes, our neighborhoods. Would you stand with me for the last thing? Is what will you do to make a difference in the face of the storm that's coming in your family, with your kids, your grandkids? your co-workers, your neighbors, your customers, your, your partners at work, your, your classmates, your professors, your students. It's up to you now. We, we are at a place where we're either going to blame society, blame the church, blame the government continually, or we're going to say, you know what? For such a time as this, God has put me in my workplace to be a light. 
God has put me in this classroom to be a witness. God has put me on this campus. God has put me on this, this job. Or He's given me these customers so I can be a light to these people. Amen? He's given me these patients. He's given me these students so that I can be the difference in their lives. We must be the relevant church today. We must operate in the gifts of the Spirit. We must believe in God's power and presence. Amen? We must be marked by the Word of God, by living it out. Amen? I know this was kind of a heavy sermon, but I want you to live it out. I want you to be the relevance. I want you to to flow in the Holy Spirit. Let's just pray. Holy Spirit, would you have your way right now? Spirit of God, would you just touch every person? Father, would you deliver the church from politics? Would you deliver the church from the news of the world? Would you deliver the church from the fear and the storm that's here? But let us, to, let us, God, be the light that will turn the tide again in this nation and in this world, God. Because you love all people. Whether they're liberal, whether they're conservative, whether they're Democrats, Republicans, whether they're white, they're black, they're pink, they're purple. You love all people from all countries, all nations, all regions of all faiths. You love all people. And that's why you gave your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross so that we could have life and we could be a part of that body which we talked about during communion. And Lord, let the church be reminded that we are the ones that can stem the the storm. We are the ones that can put up the walls that will keep the the waves of of wickedness out of our country, out of our countries, out of our homes. And Lord, I know this was a tough message, but Lord, would you allow parents to start saying no where they need to start saying no? Let them say yes where they need to say yes. And Lord, even if themselves, if they're not living out the Bible, let them begin to live out the Bible to their family, their friends, their co-workers, their their co-students, their neighbors, God. Let the church be relevant with the gospel of Jesus Christ and specifically, Lord, with the supernatural power. The church must get back to being the supernatural change agent. Politics aren't changing the nation for good, Lord. The gospel will change the nation one person at a time. Yes, I pray for President Obama. I pray for the executive branch. I pray for the legislative branch. I pray for the judicial branch. I pray that these men and women hear from you and obey you and and pass and do godly things. But I pray that the church would rise up first and foremost because it says in Ephesians that we are the change agent. That your manifest presence will be known to the world through the church, God. And so, Lord, help us to go forward, God. It's not the end of the world. Life's not over yet. As long as we have breath, we are still your servants. As long as we live on this earth, God, we are still agents of change. Would you baptize us in a, with a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Would you allow us to be Pentecostal again and go into our workplaces and speak in tongues, lay hands on people, see the miraculous happen, speak words of knowledge, speak, speak uh, uh, 